if it means to be a bad pastor to care about ableism or purity culture or race in the church or any of these things that are either taboo or hot topics in the church, then I want to be a bad pastor. I'll even go so far as to say, don't you mean badass pastor? Because that's, that's what I hear. When you say those words, I hear badass pastor. I don't, I don't know what you hear, but that's what I hear. (laughs) Okay. Okay. One, two, ready, go. Welcome to the Called to be Bad podcast. My name is Mariah Martin, and I feel called to be bad. It turns out I'm not the only one. Join us as we dig into all things bad, scandalous, deviant, you know, the stuff that makes good church folks squirm in the sanctuary. Why? Well, because sometimes the scandalous is spiritual, deviant is divine, and bad is beautiful. Say yes to the call, and let's see what holy trouble we get into today. Hello, Joanne. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So this is uh, Joanne Gallardo. And when we talked, she said that she is passionate about and wants to talk about accessibility and ableism, particularly within the Mennonite church, but also within larger church context. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. I think a lot of things that pertain to the Mennonite church aren't just denominational. They can pertain to any variety of, of faith backgrounds. Yes, absolutely. And we are both within the Mennonite Anabaptist faith tradition. So that's primarily our context that we operate out of. But yeah, like you said, it unfortunately sometimes applies to larger church as well. Right. So just starting off, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, for my benefit, um, how do you define accessibility we can start with and then also ableism? And then maybe like, how are the two connected in your mind? Sure. Accessibility, when I think of that, what comes to mind is um, access and power, right? Mm -hmm. So there are gatekeepers to access. And accessibility is maybe removing some of that gatekeeping Mm -hmm. and having access. I'm using the word accessibility a lot to define it. Uh, Access to all. Um, I don't define it by one specific group of people. I'm thinking class. I'm thinking gender, uh, physical ability, et cetera, race. Yeah. However it it, uh, comes. Okay. Where does your heart for accessibility come from? Like, um, are are there experiences you've had or stories that you've heard um, that give you a heart and a passion for making the church more accessible and less ableist? Sure. Um, I've had a variety of experiences. I think most early on um, has to do with mental health. Mm. Um, I grew up in a family that had a lot of mental health issues And therefore, ability to fully participate in church life was not really an option. And also, as a fat woman, I think about um, accessibility in like physical, mental, emotional ways. So that's uh, sort of a passion of mine now. Mm-hmm. As the not the only fat person in the church, I I think of ways that um, churches are not fat friendly mm-hmm. that give sort of an air of um, equating it to sin and goodness and whatnot. 
Um, and yeah, that's, that's sort of what I'm passionate about right now, but I kind of have a history of thinking about access through a variety of lenses. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I'm curious, what are some very practical examples of these kind of roadblocks that you see or barriers that are in place in the church that keep different types of people from experiencing church life? Um, Yeah. Do you have any examples off the top of your head? Yeah, I can give a couple examples. Um, With the what I just talked about, at the end there about fat phobia. I can think of certain instances where I've experienced that. Um, As a bigger woman, I remember I was at a church one time. Um, It was pretty packed and um, there weren't many places to sit. So the usher was looking desperately for a place that I could sit. Um, That place was all the way at the front. Um, There was a little sliver of space between two people um, and it was right in the middle of the pew. Mm. So for me to go there would have to involve me climbing over several people, which is uncomfortable as a big person, uncomfortable for them. And then somehow work my butt into that small spot and basically have the whole entire church see that I'm a big person trying to fit into a little space. And some people might not have a problem with that, but I did because I was particularly fat phobic towards myself at that Mm -hmm. time. And it just created a level of shame for me that, um, yeah, I almost didn't go back. I, I tried to take a seat in the back in a folding chair, but apparently those were for ushers. So (laughs) I took, I took a seat away from some ushers, uh, that Sunday. Um, and, and they of course made a huge deal about it, right? Because that's, that's what we do. Um, that, that seat wasn't mine to have. And yeah, I, and then I think of like new people in the church. That was a new church for me. So are we accommodating to those new people? Um, and accessibility for folks who are bigger, are the seats sturdy? Are the seats stable? I think about older people needing, uh, like handles on the side and their ability to get up or anyone who has struggle struggles with standing, having that sort of ability. I think of standing in church for like long Mm -hmm. periods of time. Um, Some people can't do that. Can people see if they're remaining seated? Um, Yeah. So these are things that are coming and coming into consciousness recently that I hope to be a bigger advocate for. Right. Uh, even just the ability to volunteer in church is is a privilege. Um, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds mm-hmm. um, maybe can't literally can't afford to give time over to the church. And I know that you have brought up before, especially within the Mennonite denomination, there's this huge emphasis on um how did you put it on uh, volunteering on discipleship on? Yeah. Do you want to speak to that? Sure. I um, I'm thinking in terms of class accessibility. Um, I know for a lot of service uh, there is a requirement to raise your own funds Mm -hmm. Um, with that. That can be a barrier for people um, and have your church donate as well. Um, Not every church is wealthy and has access to that kind of money. 
So that can be, that can be problematic. Another thing when I think of class is um, I was just even thinking recently, a lot of things in church, you're expected to kind of pay up front, not, not always, but like, oh, if you're on this committee, pick up half a dozen of this and we'll reimburse you. Um, when I was living in Washington, DC, that happened a bit because I, I had no money. I did not have any money to spare. It was tight. Um, I could not pay for my conference registration and then just get reimbursed whenever the treasurer got around to it. And so that's not a problem for me now, but I think, are we asking people to like, give money and with an emphasis on, on giving in the church. We, I think the Mennonite church does a good job of like time and money, but Mm -hmm. even time isn't accessible to people. If you're a single mom, a single dad, um, or you work multiple jobs, the time you have to give to the church and your community is very limited. Maybe that time and care is like prayer. And I think we don't give enough emphasis to all the different ways we can serve in the church. Right. Yeah. I like that, that idea of prayer as service. Um, As you were talking, I was thinking about growing up. I remember often in the summer we would have church outside and I loved that. It was like my favorite way to do church. And I remember at one point um, there was some pushback against meeting outside. And I remember being, I don't know if I was in like middle school or high school, just feeling so like annoyed with the people who were pushing back. And like, I was like, I don't know, it just felt like selfish or something. I was like, why wouldn't we meet outside? Like, it's gorgeous. And, um, And then I learned that a lot of the people that were pushing back were pushing back because they can't hear outdoors. And so they wouldn't be able to fully participate in worship if we met outside because they couldn't hear what was happening. And I remember this like very like visceral feeling of like, oh, they weren't being difficult just to be difficult, which I think that a lot of people who push for accessibility um, end up being labeled as like, just like uh, someone who's rocking the boat just to create a controversy or something, but they're like, there's like, no, there is a tangible need here um, that needs to be discussed and brought to the surface and handled. Uh, And kind of how you were saying how it can be kind of embarrassing to say like, hey, can we make this space easier for me to navigate? I think of the woman with the issue of blood kind of pushing her way, like with such a an illness that was probably causing her all kinds of, of barriers in society, just kind of forging ahead and touching Jesus's garment um, without anybody to support her, just sort of doing it on her own because she knew she needed, she needed healing. Um, I think that's a great story of like self advocacy. Not all of us have that ability, but I, I think it's pretty inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like viewing her. I, I didn't think about, the, I mean, I've thought some about the courage that it took, but using that as like almost a role model for advocating for yourself. I like that, that perspective of that story. Hmm. Now have to preach about it sometime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hello, beloved baddies. A quick break to tell you that this episode is sponsored by the Center for Art, Humor, and Soul. 
a nonprofit that supports and amplifies the voices of Edgewalkers through art that catalyzes change, laughter that brings us together, and soul awakening to the creative spark within us. The support from the Center for Art, Humor, and Soul has meant the world to this podcast, so I highly encourage you to check out their website, arthumorandsoul.com, to see their other featured artists and projects. If you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon or get in touch. Now I'll let you get back to this episode of Called to be Bad. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts um, from a more spiritual or theological perspective. How our theology and our spirituality might change if we were to grow in our accessibility as uh, both as individuals in faith and also like as a church community. I think that our theology changes um, when we think of accessibility and ableism. in the thoughts of just the nature of God. Um, The nature of God, people often refer to as parent. And um, when I think of parents, I think of them cherishing their children, no matter what they bring, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what their ability, no matter what their mental status, hopefully, 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 no matter what their gender or sexual orientation, that there's just this acceptance and like, yeah, of course, we're going to make room. Of course, we're going to think about that because they're our child. And so I think our thoughts on the character of God kind of expand as being very welcoming. We can pay a lot of lip service to that and say, of course, God welcomes all. But if we're not practicing that ourselves, we're putting barriers down and we're being gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And that can change people's view of God and ecclesiology. Maybe church isn't for me. I can't go to this church because I'm in a wheelchair. I see no ramps. I have a mental illness and sometimes I speak out of turn. I feel shame. So I think that that... In reflecting in a in a welcoming God, we can see maybe where we put up some barriers that shouldn't be there. Right. Yeah, I love that. And and reflecting that spirit when we are confronted with ways that our church needs to grow in accessibility, uh, instead of having a spirit of like, oh, okay, now we need to raise up money to build a ramp, and it's kind of like this like begrudging uh, task. Instead, it's like. Right oh, of course, like, we want you here, like, we will do whatever it takes to make you feel welcome. Yeah, I think of normalizing things, too. Mm, Um, If uh, you please build wheelchair accessibility before someone in a wheelchair comes to your church, Um, and also normalizing these things that... um, thinking of worship and standing up, that sitting down sometimes is also normalized. Um, I've known people to use the headphone system. So sometimes that's done for people who are hard of hearing um, with uh, systems that can eliminate background noise or just even having that in your ear, if that's comfortable for you, can Mm -hmm. kind of block out some of that other noise that gets you distracted or just bothers you in worship. Oh, I love that. That's That's such a good idea. I also think about our language that we use and how our language can be accidentally exclusionary. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're never going to get it perfect, of course, but like the spirit should be like, let's be as um, open and welcoming as possible. Um, But like using 
And, and sometimes it's biblical language that that can be an ex- be examined um, using blindness as a metaphor. Yeah. For like um, spiritual darkness or even sin. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples off the top of my head. Dumbness. That's the inability to speak. Dumbness is sometimes used in the Bible. Um, There's even, I get kind of creeped out about darkness um, because that can have connotations to race and dark is bad and white and purity. And that is good. So I know we can't get rid of that entirely. And maybe that's hitting the point with a hammer. That's a little too big. But white as snow language. I think of gospel hymns and yeah. and our theology and like what what are we saying? Our, what we say matters. And what message is that sending? What message is that sending our kids when we talk about making our lives white as snow and pure and free from sin? I even think of um, men and women and gender yeah. non-binary people. So I think, um, especially with our singing, we've tended to move more towards like higher voices, treble voices and lower voices. Um, so when we say like women on the second verse, what we're meaning is higher voices yeah. instead of labeling it as the women's verse right. or liturgy that's split into women and men. Like, mm-hmm there are ways we can, we can work with that instead of, of making it a dichotomy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've realized when we say like sisters and brothers in Christ, shifting that to like siblings, siblings in Christ. Yeah. There's, there's, there's so many little things. Um, I started out my emails folks a lot. Um, because there are just really easy ways to make things gender neutral that we don't even think about. Um, Friends, family, comrades, if you want to go there. Comrades. (laughs) Yes. Comrades in Christ. (laughs) Comrades in Christ that you can, that you can do to make things more. Again, that's an accessibility issue. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? Then make sure that I'm included in that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So I'm curious if um, you have some sort of vision for what the church could look like if it were um, more accessible for all types of people, like in an ideal world, you know, kind of tapping into your imagination. Um, right. What would the church look like? Wow, this could this could be a lot. I think a worship service for me would have many various ways to praise God, Mm -hmm. uh, various languages to praise God. Um, A church that would be open to all kinds of ways that people can participate, Um, not necessarily super high intellectual or learned, some ways that are more creative, some ways that, um, yeah, how, however people come is an acceptable way to worship. And that our Christian education takes all kinds of learning and all kinds of different learning abilities into consideration. So I could go on and on about it, but I guess it all boils down to um, however people come finding a place to fit. And we won't get it perfect 100% of the time. There, there's bound to be a barrier, but I think even our awareness... And our ability to be open, especially to hearing redirection from folks 
folks who say, hey, this isn't okay, and responding in a non-reactive way Mm. um, is super helpful. Like, I don't find church accessible because of this and not automatically. Well, we try to be. We we do this, and and we're anti-racist, and we're anti- capitalist and how dare you i i think that that in, we don't respond necessarily with openness it's so easy to get defensive and right. just to be open for people outside of our congregations to speak into the accessibility of our services any other thoughts that you might have about accessibility ableism otherwise um for people of differing physical abilities, I really recommend articles found in Sojourners magazine. They from time to time feature folks um, and their accessibility issues in the church. Also the Unitarian Universalist church has a lot of resources on making your church accessible to all. Of course, it is not all encompassing, but if, if you're just thinking about this for your congregation or just sort of dawned on you, hey, we we might get people who find this inaccessible. Um, they have some really good resources on, on things to be, think about and sensitivities to have mm. when building a new worship space, when creating your worship, when having, I even think of like fellowship time and fellowship meals. Right. Like, what is that like? So they have some really good resources. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as you were saying that, I, I have one one other thought. Um, you, you reminded me, you were talking about Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, Nick, my partner, uh, and I went um, and did an, an adult sexuality class at the yeah. Unitarian Universalist Church in Elkhart. And I remember for one of our exercises, and I don't remember what it had to do with sexuality, but we had this like poster paper and, um, I was supposed to draw a church on it. And so I drew a church building and then I drew a a cross at the top of the church. Um, because that's just what I associated with church, um, you know, as a Christian and someone who goes to the Unitarian Universalist church, um, said, Oh, uh, no need to put a cross on the top of the church. Not everyone who goes to this church believes, uh, in Jesus or Jesus as a savior. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. Like I just automatically went church Jesus. And right. the reason I'm telling this story is that I think so much of accessibility and ableism is we all view the world through our own lens, through our own experiences, through our own bodies, which makes sense. We can't not do that. But then do we go on and project our own experiences, our own way of viewing the world on everyone else and assume that Mm -hmm. everyone else experiences the world the same way we do. Right. And And that does not dilute. And um, I think of people who kind of answer back to that and how it does not dilute your own faith. Like you're not right. renouncing Christ by acknowledging that there are people who do not view Christ as savior. You're not making, you're not, not doing your duty and preaching the gospel right. <laughs> by acknowledging that not everyone reads it in the same way. It's just, um, I think people, uh, then get all upset about like, well, what about my faith or Christians being persecuted or does this make me a marginalized person? Well, first of all, maybe you need to experience being a marginalized person. (laughs) And, and second of all, um, your view is not the only view. 
And you holding your views is totally okay. That is fine. Just acknowledging that other views exist does not dilute your own. Right. Yeah. There was no implication that my Christianity is any lesser of a faith tradition than theirs. It was just a reminder that there are differences in faith traditions and those differences don't have to be threatening. Uh, It's just different, not morally superior or inferior, just different. And I feel like that's also true. I think we attach a hierarchy of importance um, and acceptance for people with different abilities uh, as far as like usefulness to a congregation and just examining that uh, and recognizing that we have that hierarchy uh, and that that hierarchy keeps us from entering into full fellowship. Right. So how would you respond if someone was disgruntled by you bringing up um, or advocating for ableism and they ended up labeling you as a bad pastor? How would you respond to criticism like that? Well, I'd be pretty proud to be a bad pastor in that in that humble Mennonite way that we're all supposed to be proud. Um, If if it means to be a bad pastor to care about ableism or purity culture or race in the church or any of these things that are either taboo or hot topics in the church, then I want to be a bad pastor. I'll even go so far as to say, don't you mean badass pastor? That's, that's what I hear. When you say those words, I hear badass pastor. I don't, I don't know what you hear, but that's what I hear. No, I love that. Thank you, Joanne. And thank you for this whole conversation. This has been, um, I've learned a lot and hopefully listeners have as well. Uh, And we've started this kind of tradition of ending the podcast with a blessing. So may I bless you and all of the listeners? Yes, please. Okay. Joanne and listeners of the podcast, may you go this week and strive for a more inclusive and welcoming and accessible community in church and otherwise. And may you always feel welcomed uh, in the arms of God and feel loved for exactly who you are, hair, body size, everything. And may you also feel like a badass, pastor or not. (laughs) Amen. 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 (laughs) Thanks, Joanne. That's all for this episode of Called to be Bad. Keep being your bad, beautiful selves, and I will see you next time.